Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish. Trish, if you decide to retire, just give up the corporate life, give up the lifestyle, all the fame, all the glory. If you just decide to walk away tomorrow and open a food truck, Trish, what are you serving? That is a tough question, but a good question. I don't know why this popped in my head, but donuts. I'm not even a donut person, like literally when you said that. So I guess a donut truck. I don't know. I like it. That's a good answer. I was not would have not have thought that, but I like it. I would I would I would be a customer of a donut truck. That's for sure. You know what I would like now that I think about it? just like small donuts, tiny donuts, little like two bite donuts. That's that's my food truck. The two bite donut truck. That's that concept already. I'm gonna write that down. I'm gonna steal that. Some listeners gonna. Are you gonna steal, steal my probably. idea? No, I probably will not because donuts. I don't think like, I can do that. But. Uh, it might get stolen. So if you, Trish, if the two bite donut truck shows up somewhere, you'll know that was your idea. That's my, the two bite donut truck. That's we have a, listeners yeah. all over the world. Someone's going to pick that <laughs> no. up. Great answer. I like it. Where did that come from? See, maybe this is how all great businesses start. You have to just like, right. It's like sort of like a nap, writing it on a napkin. Yeah. You just have to ask someone a question and boom, that's it. So what about you? What's your, what's your it's, food truck? It's overdone. And I probably would not, I, I'd have, I'd struggle with the competition because there's so many of them. But the only thing I know how to cook is barbecue. That's it. I, I can't, need to I, say that. I don't do anything else, but I think I would do a spin like on sausages and hot dogs, probably specifically. I'm not sure like okay. the big slow roasted giant cuts of meat are going to work on a food truck. They take way too long to cook. Like it'd be, right. you have to spend all night cooking them to sell them the next day. It'd be a rough lifestyle. So I'm going brats and sausages and some. Well, we'll have to ask our guests when they yeah, come on what well, they would have. Well. So they hopefully they're thinking about it as they wait in the wings here. I think I think one of them is going to say two bite donut truck. So we are going to talk about returning to work, hybrid workplaces, lots of the issues that are coming up in organizations all over the world, kind of making this adjustment to slowly getting back to normal. There's tons of issues. Tons of uh, things for HR folks who listen to this show need to be thinking about. We're excited to welcome uh, two folks from Ernst & Young who are going to talk uh, about that with us. Uh, before we welcome them, Trish, let's thank our sponsor, Paychex, of course. Um, this episode of the HR Happy Hour is sponsored by Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. More than half of business owners with 10 to 500 employees say the availability of the COVID-19 vaccine is causing them to start or start planning their return to the workplace. Good topic, because that's what we're talking about today. Right. If you're thinking about instituting a policy around vaccinations, we encourage you to download Paychex's latest ebook, Managing COVID-19 Vaccinations and the Return to Work, to learn about key considerations for developing your policy, as well as important health and safety measures for establishing a safe and productive return to work. You can go to payx.me slash ebook dash vaccines, and this link will be in the show notes, to download your copy of the ebook today. Big issue, Trish, huge issue with vaccines. And there's a lot of other issues when returning to work. Vaccines is one of them. Uh, did you hear one about the NFL player just on a rampage about I'm not getting vaccinated and I don't care what anybody says? I mean, that's, that's a high profile one that we've heard about, but I'm sure there's lots that's more right. of that going on in the corporate world. But you don't want to hear me talk about that, Trish. We have guests who are going to help us navigate some of these issues. We want to welcome first Jonathan Sears. Jonathan is a partner in the People Advisory Services practice of Ernst & Young. He is a seasoned executive with broad international and domestic experience and demonstrated success delivering business value for industry-leading companies. His diverse technology experience includes end-to-end ERP and HCM projects as well. We love that. 
uh, as well as cloud-based technologies focused on organization and workforce transformation, change management, learning, culture, leadership, and employee experience. Today, Jonathan spends much of his time working to help organizations bring digital solutions, automation, and emerging tech to solve a myriad of workforce issues. Jonathan, welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. How are you? I'm doing great, Steve and Trish. Thanks for having me. I have to tell you, we're so excited to have both of our guests on today, but if I were a younger person just entering into the work world and had the opportunity to work with someone like you, Jonathan, who has that as your bio, like I would have been all over that. That would have been like my dream, like leader to work with. So yeah, quite accomplished. Awesome. That's great. I really appreciate that. And, and my dream is to own a two bike donut truck. So we're already, yeah. oh, we're there we go. The, we're <laughs> the karma already. It's great. Before we, we go, uh, yeah, before we get help. too far down the, the donut truck hole, let's welcome also our other guest, Roz Feinside. She is a principal at ENY and the principal in the People Advisory Services, consulting on transformation and transactions. She has been a key contributor to thought leadership about COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic and is supporting companies with trusted transition to the office and reimagining work. She has extensive experience consulting for Fortune 500 companies, on workforce planning and strategy and labor cost review. Roz holds a BS in actuarial science. Those are the funnest people, the actuaries. I've always heard that. From St. John's University and is a fellow of the Society of Actuaries. Roz, welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. Thank you, Steve and Trish. Great to be here. And hopefully you'll see how fun the actuaries can be with lots of analytics about returning to office. I, I'm Love not it. even kidding because I you'd see these surveys that would come out. I don't know who would do them, but like periodically you'd see over the years, What's the best job to have, like, you know, on, on a variety? And besides labor, you know, uh, besides like relief pitcher for the Mets, which would was the job I always wanted and couldn't get, actuary would always be like number one as like the best job, like a normal person could have. It has been for many years, yes. I know we're going to dig in on our topic, but for, for some of the listeners who, I know we've got a lot of people who are sort of Gen X, who have kids who are their teenagers going to college. Can you give us just a quick, like, down low on what is an actuary, what kind of background, like how did you get into that? I'm just curious for the listeners. An actuary is someone that consults on risk and uses all kinds of statistical methods to help companies make better decisions about anything they're taking on. So that could be their retirement plans, their healthcare plans, or more broadly, any kind of risks that they're assuming as a business. Good. Because I think a lot of times we think of it only in terms of like insurance. So it's good to hear that there are many, many other ways that being an actuary can be applied in the sort of in the real world for jobs. I know that, uh, again, a lot of got a lot of teens and, and young, uh, young 20s who listen to the show as well. So that's always good for them to hear about different jobs. So thank you. All right, let's start with this. I'd like to start here. Uh, we're sort of we're recording this in late June, right? Organizations around the world, certainly here in the U.S. where we're recording, are, are slowly getting back to quote unquote normal, or may, many, some, many, some have already gotten back, but there's tons of issues, right? With sort of coming back out of 15 plus months of just disruption and, and stress and, 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 you know, all the things that have happened to organizations. EY did a really big survey called the Work Reimagined Survey, about 16,000 employees to get, to get the pulse of what people out there are thinking about some of these issues about returning to work and what, what, what organizations and workplaces need to do going forward to thrive. Maybe Jonathan, I'll throw it to you. What are some of just the big, big picture, the big highlights that you guys are finding either through the survey data or with your client work that says, these are the things organizations are wrestling with right now. Here's what's like top of mind for HR leaders today. Sure. No, I think one of the biggest findings from the survey is that overall employees um, have still a high degree of job satisfaction. And I think that comes from the place 
where employers have done a pretty good job of navigating the last 15 months. They feel like they've been there to support the workforce. Uh, employers have flexed in the ways that they needed to flex to ensure that, 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 that employees felt both safe and secure if they had to come back to the office, but also had the right tools uh, and enablers to be successful if they were now working virtually or remote for the first time. Um, I think the challenge for employers will be going forward. Um, we saw a high uh, majority, about 54% of respondents said, um, if new ways of working are not adopted, if we are not given flexibility in when and where we work, now that we've proven that we can actually do things better, different, more efficiently, that that's going to be a um, attrition driver, right? And so we're going to start to see people potentially uh, leave the workforce, potentially a new war on talent, um, and potentially companies needing to rethink benefit plans and, and how to really attract these folks that might not be as um, you know, tied to a single location or a single region as they have been historically. And so we're already seeing that in some sectors. I think you've seen a few media announcements from CEOs that are asking folks to come back to the office. And in other sectors, uh, the CEOs are saying, we're gonna try to stay full-time, virtual, full-time, um, you know, away from the office. The answer is we don't really know yet. And I think we're going to be um, sort of watching the next 12 months as companies test out a number of hybrid methods and a number of, of solutions for different types of workers and different classes of workers to ensure that um, they're responding to the needs of the employees while also still running a very um, uh, sort of strong and, and, and balanced business going forward. And just building on that, I think one of the most interesting and surprising findings is that nearly half of employees say that their company culture has improved during the pandemic. And you sort of scratch your head and say, how is that possible? We haven't been together. We don't know how tall people are that we might be working with for the first time. But yet at the same time, you know, we have put people at center. We've given them all the flexibility that we possibly humanly can. We've gotten to know their pets and their children on different calls that we've encountered with them. And to some degree, we've equalized things a lot where we're all the same box on a screen and we're not defined by our fancy office with the couch and a table. So I think there has been a lot about culture that really has improved on top of the pace of decision making where we might have been slow to move forward and now all of a sudden we've had to rethink everything that we do as a business and people like that pace. You know, that is a great point actually both of you but Roz specifically kind of building a question around what you just said. You know, do you think that, you know, for many years my career 20 plus years, we've been talking about, um, you know, what we can do to improve culture, what we can do to build that connection, right? And, and all the things that companies were trying really didn't make that big of a dent, that big of an impact. Do you think that, obviously, we don't want a pandemic, but do you think that this was really kind of the shock that companies needed um, to be able to have an opportunity to step up? Because I almost, I wonder if that's the case, like we needed some big, big, catastrophe that would really like kind of impact everyone to sort of normalize and level that playing field. Is that what you're kind of seeing then? Yeah, I think it has been a wake up to more specifically define culture because in certain ways we might've always been comfortable that culture is about our values and it's our secret sauce and we can't really explain what it is. And now that we're not together and it's not defined in the same way and we're working with people all around the world in, in virtual teams, we really have to define what are the behaviors, what are the things we need to keep from our past culture that was good, but what are the new things we have to start and we have to really stop doing um, in order to accelerate our culture, whether that's things around talent recognition and our focus on people, whether it's how quickly we make change or how we trust and empower the people in our organization. 
Jonathan, there's an interesting data point I wanted to ask you about from the uh, the survey, which is pretty clear to me. Uh, nine out of 10 of employees want flexibility in where and when they work. Nine out of 10. That's kind of like everybody, right? Especially in, at least in America, right? If you can get five out of 10 to agree on something, you're doing on anything. Honestly, you're doing pretty good. Nine out of 10. And so w- with that sentiment out there, right? I wonder if you could comment a little bit about either some of the announcements we've seen publicly or maybe just without naming names necessarily about some of the organizations you're advising about this idea of of transitioning back to some sort of a hybrid model. Because I'm reading the nine out of 10, maybe very, very one way, meaning I want that flexibility myself, Steve, the employee, I want to choose. And we've seen a lot of announcements, say the Apple one, to just name one name, right? That said, we would like everybody to start coming back and on these three days, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, which to me is not super flexible. That's just the employer giving me a different schedule than I used to have before. So I'd love your thoughts on how organizations are, are moving to this new thing and, and maybe some ideas about how they could sort of be better at it maybe and, and sort of give the employees what they're looking for while also serving the needs of the business. Yeah, it's important to, to remember that our survey was 16,000 employees in 16 countries around the world. So it is the view of the worker. It's a view of the employee. And clearly they're asking for flexibility, but some of the companies are clearly um, not taking a position of flexibility at the level of which employees would want. That doesn't mean that they're not going to move in some direction and offer something. Um, But you have to remember, we spent the last hundred years uh, being very successful, working together in the same location in a place where work was defined as an activity. Then we spent the last 15 months being really successful, being sort of everywhere and anywhere. In some cases, picking up and moving across state borders or country borders to be with family, um, you know, being disconnected from our home office. Um, and we had technology like we're using right now to, to effectively connect with people and have important conversations. Um, now we're gonna go back to a world where companies have to solve for what happens when some individuals remain virtual and remain remote, and some individuals choose to come back to the office. And how do you ensure that if it's a team of six people and three are at home and three are in the office, that they can collaborate effectively together, that they can have um, productive dialogues and that there's not a disadvantage to those that are virtual. We all know we sit in a meeting room together in person. When the meeting ends, um, chatter still happens. There's still discussions, there's still dialogue, there's brainstorming. Well, if you've already turned off the Zoom call or the Teams call, those three individuals at home are losing the ability to connect and dialogue as part of the ongoing engagement. That will be a significant challenge for companies to have the right technology, the right processes, performance management processes, rewards processes, to ensure that we don't end up with a two-caste system, those that are in the office and those that aren't. Um, And so I think the way companies are are approaching it, hopefully, um, is they're looking at work activity. And, and they're, they're not looking at broad brush, peanut butter spread policies. They're saying for these types of jobs doing this kind of work, it makes sense that these can be done virtually successfully 80% of the time or 90% of the time. And for these sorts of jobs, we want them to be in the office because here's the value to both you as an employee and us as an employer. And to do so, this is how we're going to flex on both sides of that. Here are some compensation changes. Here are some benefit changes to make sure that we are um, sort of making a, a really strong employee, employee value proposition, uh, whether you're one of the folks who are virtual or whether you're, you're one of the folks that are in the office. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Jonathan. I think too, one of the things that companies 
and HR leaders specifically need to be thinking about is, you know, we had to rush into everyone working from home. We don't have to rush and make this decision overnight. And I think that when I talk to a lot of different leaders, they're feeling like they're being very rushed in making that that decision. I'd love to hear Roz or Jonathan, kind of your take on that. Like what, what should the pace be based on kind of just your experience with lots of different organizations? Like what's a good pace if I'm an HR leader to thinking like, yes, we need to make some of these changes and whether that's hybrid or not, or whatever we decide, should it be, should we feel like, oh my gosh, we've got to do it right now or we're going to lose people or, or is it okay to take a little bit of time? Like what, what are your feelings on that? And that could go to Roz or Jonathan. Yeah, so there definitely is a need to say something because employees are waiting to hear something, right? Over 150 companies, we've been monitoring these announcements from different companies. And so over 150 companies out there have made announcements of where they stand on this point. And so your people are waiting to hear. Now, does that mean that you have to jump to a permanent version of some specific model hybrid? Absolutely not. And we hear many companies announcing things around, this is an adjust and adopt phase. We're going to experiment and learn. This is about continuous change. And so really companies are positioning some period of time as a learning time to really see how this evolves and to really assemble the best data, whether that's employee preference, whether it's the utilization of facilities and continuing to explore technologies that are gonna really support this going forward. Thank you. Roz and Jonathan, uh, either of you, maybe I'll throw it to Jonathan and then Roz can comment later. Would you caution companies right now, if you were advising a client say about sort of choosing one or the other extreme. For example, like we've talked, like there are some companies out there we know, some of the financial services companies are doing this, uh, banks, et cetera, maybe some others saying, I want everybody's coming back in as soon as we can, as soon as it's quote unquote safe, everybody's coming back in, back to how it was in 2019, right? And then on the other end, there's some companies, some famous ones as well that we know who've said, you know what, we're just remote. That's how, that's it you know, work wherever you want forever and ever, the other extreme. I worry about companies doing either of those because it feels like it gives you no no wiggle room for something in between. Or as you maybe said, Roz, like we've got to kind of figure this out a little bit. So would you maybe, what would you say to companies who are maybe thinking about coming on one one of either of those two ends, uh, ends of the barbell right now? Yeah, I think the point that Roz just made is a really good one, right? It's important to have communications with your employees. They need to understand what you're thinking. But um, Steve, to your point, the extremes right now are not a permanent place to, to live, right? And so um, if we think back to March of last year, when the pandemic was sort of at its height, at least in the U.S. market, um, we really didn't know what was going to happen. But by June or July, we saw CEOs act- actively saying, this is great. We're going to save uh, a ton of cost on real estate. We're not going to come back to the office. That was like the invoke thing at the time. Fast forward to February, March of this year, and all of a sudden CEOs are saying, let's get right back to the office. It has to go back to the way things were. And so we've already seen um, many companies start on one extreme and shift back to the other extreme, which is why sitting at either place right now is not the right answer. It's sort of sitting in the middle. It's understanding your workforce, understanding your business needs, understanding what's going to continue to attract the right um, uh, attention and, and talent. Um, it's very easy to assume that employees will all want remote and, and, and virtual. Um, we also know from our survey that that's not the case. There's still a large percentage of folks that do want to get back to the office. And so even going so extreme to say, 
we're going to give you all this flex and you can be virtual remote as much as you want. And we're not going to encourage folks to come back together. That could also disenfranchise a significant part of the workforce. And so having balance to your approach and making sure that you're dialoguing with your workforce about that is important. And the other thing too, is that it's not a one size fits all, even for a given organization. So if you take someone that's on a trading floor, I mean, there's absolutely a case to say that there's an energy of a momentum element that you need those people together. And from a compliance perspective, it's complicated if they're not in the same place. Take another example though, if you have call center folks, there is not one employer I have spoken to anywhere in the world who has not reported that their call centers have had off the charts numbers through the pandemic. And that is the most measurable. Your, your call is being recorded for quality assurance purposes. We know your <laughs> customer satisfaction, your first your, uh, call resolution. We know everything about you. And there's not one call center. So you know, for ones like that, do you really want to take space in a building and force all the call center people to sit in one place anymore? I'm not sure. So I do think that uh, on some job families, there might be a segmented approach that could say, we know some clear answers and data in some jobs that it makes sense for them to be together and in other jobs where they can be truly virtual. I love that. And I think the call center is a great example, Roz, and there are other jobs like that where actually sometimes productivity goes down when you are seated next to others who are trying to do a similar job that aren't directly involved in what you're doing, right? If, especially if you're dealing with customers right? You don't necessarily need all that back and forth between the employees. Now, again, they might miss the water cooler talk or, you know, in the lunchroom, that sort of thing. So you might have a, a little dip there, but I wonder too, is this really HR and, and just senior leadership's opportunity to rethink productivity? I know at Ernst & Young, that's right for, for many decades, that's been, you know, productivity and utilization have been very important measures. Um, are you hearing, I guess it's very early, so you may not have anything on this yet, but are you hearing that there are companies that are really um, feeling good about the productivity numbers they have, maybe even beyond call centers, for example, like, like professional services, even at Ernst & Young, what are you all seeing and hearing um, I think some companies and jobs are. I think some companies and jobs are feeling really good, and some companies and jobs are feeling uncomfortable in terms of where are they at with the ability to measure productivity. Now, honestly, did they really have a good measure of productivity because they saw someone's light on early and they saw them in the parking lot, or they saw the light on late? Did that really mean that they were productive at what they did? No, but it still was a false sense of comfort. So I think what companies are truly learning is that where they didn't have a sense of productivity, the pandemic fundamentally didn't really change that. You have to learn what are the core measures for some roles. And it's very easy in some roles, professional services, as you shared, we bill our hours into a time system in quarterly increments. And so we know exactly who's working and what they're working on around the world and where they're working. But for some organizations, that's more of a challenge where they don't have that easy ability to know how people are spending time. And so therefore there's a lot of technology that companies are looking at to try to get a better sense of utilization and how do we really um, deploy work in a better way where we had a better sense of that intuitively, but now we have to plan our projects and manage our work differently. And I think, um, I think companies too are struggling with talking about measuring productivity because I think from an employee perspective that feels a little big brotherish, right? And so you know, is it about how do we measure collaboration? How do we measure engagement? How do we measure um, efficiency? Um, I do think companies have the right tools to do so. And one of the data points from our survey, which affirmed that is two thirds of respondents said that they felt like their job even when virtual can be measured effectively by their employer. And so that, pro that, that productivity connection um, is, is I think well understood by both the employer and the employee. 
Good. Yeah. I think it's more about results, right? I mean, it, it sort of forces that if you can't see everyone, um, you have to really just look at the work results to see have they been productive or not. I wonder too, though, as, as on the employee side, and you know, you mentioned earlier that there are a number of people in the survey who said they want to go back to a workplace, right? They want, they actually thrive maybe in a more structured environment or they like more direction, right? Or they feel maybe opportunities are there. Um, I wonder if, are you, are you getting a sense of those employees that, that need that, are they going to feel, I don't know, almost at a disadvantage long-term going back though? I, I don't know. I'm kind of like thinking about both sides, right? We've talked a little bit about maybe if you're at home, you're not having that connection, but I wonder too, if you're in the office, maybe you lose out on some amount of creativity or, you know, is that flexibility that they've had for the last, you know, 12 to 18 months is, is that going to go away if they go back to an office? I don't know. Are you getting a sense of sort of the other direction of the, of the results? Is there a negative going back? I think the important point here is, uh, at least in our survey, there's three main personas that are really driving this. So we call them office optimal, which are the folks that want to get back hybrid hopefuls that want to sort of live in that flex environment. And then remote ready folks that want to be full-time remote or at least, you know, four, four days a week. And where you are at any given time in your life journey will determine which of those three personas you own. You're never going to be one and stay one for the next 30 years. It's, it's, and, and, and everything in our data shows that those that are more office optimal are later in their tenure with their employers. And everyone that is remote ready tends to be the Gen Zs and the millennials, right? And so, you know, probably no big surprise to you guys or to your listeners. Um, but I think it's important to remember that, um, you know, Ross made the point earlier about you can't have a one size fits all strategy. That, that's, for ever, that's for everything now. You, you may need to have multiple benefit plans and programs, multiple pay structures, and you might be comfortable, have to be comfortable being fluid in allowing people to say, right now in this job today, I'm office optimal, but two years from now in my next job, I might need to be remote ready or hybrid hopeful. So people will move across personas and companies need to be able to respond to any mix of those. I was just going to also say that geographically, there are some differences, absolutely. So if you look at in Asia-Pac, for example, there is definitely a larger group of office optimals because people just don't have the larger living spaces and they want to be in the office and culturally, they want to go out to lunch with their colleagues. So there's absolutely globally, culturally, not a one-size-fits-all model. And to Jonathan's point, it's really about making sure that whichever category you're in, you have equal opportunities for participation and, and maximizing your work on a daily basis, as well as for your growth and career progression. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, uh, guys, because I think I was about to ask a similar question, but you, Jonathan, you kind of laid it out slightly differently. We did a lot of mental health shows in these last six months, right, on, from a, with a variety of guests, you know, talking about lots of the mental health issues in and around the workplace uh, that have arisen during the pandemic. And one of the things we saw fairly consistently in, in, in the data that we looked at and the shows that we did was the mental health, the adverse mental health impacts were um, not the same across the workforce. They actually were tended to be a little bit more uh, extreme or acute uh, in, in younger generations, newer workers. Right. And, and for, and there are reasons why that you could, that, that happened, but um I wonder if some of this filters into it too, though, like, like uh, there's a lot of concern that you hear in some of these announcements, especially the return, the return to work people announcements talk a lot about 
acculturization and onboarding and informal learning, et cetera. But they're largely focused on the newer workers, I think. Like the folks who've been around for 25 years, say, in an organization don't really need that so much, right? They're kind of settled in. Is that something that either the data showed in the survey or maybe didn't, or something you're seeing as you, as you talk to organizations and clients about, uh, about how to navigate uh, these transitions? So I'll go first. So I think from a well-being perspective, it is absolutely a focus of a number of employers right now, uh, and really should be all employers to ensure that um, both they're training their line managers to identify mental health issues that may be there that employees are not self-reporting, but also that they're coming back to the office in a way that creates confidence in their workforce, that they can come back to the office safely, securely, and with the right support structure around them um, to be successful. And I think you know, if, if I um, think back to last year, really, all the work that we, we saw in that sort of, you know, April to August timeframe, it was around um, getting back to the office safely and securely, which had a big component around employee safety and well-being associated with it. Everything that we're seeing now is how do we reimagine work going forward? How do we think about new ways of working to be successful? Um, but yet employee well-being is still so centered in all of that because everyone, to your point, Steve, is going to have a different set of needs. Um, they're going to, um, I, I think we're, we're going to see things evolve where um, it might be our younger generation that, that wants to or, or has to deal with this in new and different ways than maybe someone who's worked for 20 or 25 years. Um, I can't imagine, you know, your first year in, in the workforce or first two years in the workforce going through a pandemic like this. I mean, I think we all worked through some pretty, you know, um, at the time felt like world shattering events, whether it was 9-11 or whether it was the real estate crash in 2008, um, you know, for, you know, our, our new campus hires that just started with us in January, I, I can't imagine they've never been in an EY office. They've never met somebody else from, from the firm. Um, mm -hmm. It is definitely something that has to be addressed and has to be front and center with employers. Yeah, that's an amazing point uh, that a lot of us, I think, aren't thinking of yet, right, is what about those those people just entering the workforce? I wonder if it long term, too, that might even be an opportunity for them, right? If you start out your career in such a drastically different way than people had worked in the past, I don't know, will that make them more open to creative ways of working once they become the leaders, right, of the future? We won't know for quite a while, but I wonder, like, just being, you know, I'm 50, and I actually spent my first 10 years of my career at PwC. So a very similar, right, environment. And it was definitely about having your butt in that seat at a certain time. And if you left, you had to have your coat on the chair, right? Like, so someone would think you're there. I wonder if that though, as a, as a worker, as a leader, as someone now who's my age, am I more closed off to more creative approaches to work than maybe someone who's starting out now? Will, will they in turn be better leaders? I don't know. Any, any thoughts? I mean, Roz, you're, absolutely you're good at predicting, yeah. right? You're reimagining. So what do, you, what do you think on that? Will they be better leaders than we are? I don't know. In a certain way, I think they will be because I think that agility that they have gained through this, and I think there's been just a huge amount of innovation that actually is going to carry forward into how we do things in the future. So, I mean, when you think about companies had to onboard interning classes who never got to meet each other. And on the one hand, that was really tough. 
On the other hand, um, we've seen companies do some really creative things around some of the virtual environments where they could chat with a tech assistant anytime, where they could play scavenger hunts and meet people digitally. And to some degree, they actually may be meeting more people than they might have had they just walked around the single office. And a lot of people might have been away at client sites or on vacation or not around with their door closed. And to some degree, we're purposeful now about who we're meeting with and taking the time. And to some degree, I think those interns and some of those early career folks there are benefits to their experience as well because it's with more intention. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. I think about. too, it also shows like one of you mentioned at the top here where, you know, we're seeing each other at home, right? And so if I think back to working with a partner or really any, in any job, right? A, a boss who's several levels above you, sometimes you put them on a pedestal and you don't really think of them as, as human, right? I remember early on in my career, one of the partners I worked with um, you know, something came up and I was kind of coaching him and I was very young and he said, I'm just a guy, you know? And like that stuck with me because now maybe, I mean, you still want to respect obviously people who have, you know, worked their way up in a company, but maybe that is good that you sort of see them as a person. They have a a family, they have pets, they have whatever. Right. So I think maybe you're right. I think it'll, it'll be a benefit to these workers later on as they progress in their careers. Yeah, good stuff. Last thing for me, guys, uh, we're going to put a link to the Work Reimagined survey in the show notes. Of course, I encourage people to check it out. It's really well done. It's really, really interesting. It does sort of validate some of the things I kind of thought I knew or thought I thought maybe, but uh, uh, I'd I'd love for you maybe to uh, tell our audience, like if there's any just one last piece of advice you want to give them, if they're in the process now, I'll, I'll give you an example. How about this? I'll give you a specific example from a company I won't name, but I, I was talking to someone from a pretty big company, very, very successful company who's, who did great through the pandemic for reasons that we don't need to really get into, but their, their business thrived, right? By be, and they were all remote, right? It's a, it's a technical company, right? So they don't have frontline workers and storage or anything like that. They did wonderfully, right? They just happened to. Now they're dragging everybody back to the office starting really soon. And this person told me, as an HR person told me, they're already having retention issues. It's already starting. So what would be, besides sort of tell, you, tell the CEO to change their mind, which maybe is the advice, but let's say you can't give that advice or the, the CEO is not taking that advice. Is there any advice you might give an HR leader in that situation? Because I have a feeling there's a lot of them out there or there will be a good number of them out there dealing with some of the, these issues. Yeah, I think you have to have a really strong employee listening strategy. So you have to know your workforce and you have to understand what their sentiment is so that you're ahead of any potential attrition risks. Uh, that may occur. I also think it's very easy for companies to um, zero in on one component of this. They'll look, they'll say, we want to protect and advance our culture, or we want to measure productivity, or we want to think about new ways of working and continuous change. And the reality is the companies that are successful at this will be successful because they address people components, they address technology components, and they address real estate um, sort of issues and components. And if you can solve Um, all three of those pieces, and you can understand that some of these issues you're trying to solve will have dependencies on all three of those. I think those are going to be the companies that will be uh, quickest to win. Uh, That doesn't mean that that everyone won't win long-term in three to four years, but if you're talking about those companies that are going to be on the best places to work list in 2022 and 2023, it's going to be because they solve that challenge and their workforce really responds to it. Love it. Rods, any, any, any parting advice for, for this fictional, not really a fictional, real HR person who we've not named? 
And I think just continue to monitor the data and build the case for change, right? And that it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all. And there may be a strong case for that return absolutely makes sense for some segments of the workforce, but let's not apply that universally across the entire workforce. And let's look for the data that supports, you know, for each group, what is really the right solution. I love it. That's great yeah. advice, actually. I wish I would have given you know this person that advice, which I failed to, but go ahead, Josh. Steve, I was going to add too, as well, I think that it's fair to, you know, if I'm that HR leader, I would try and find a way to, with some finesse, go back to that CEO or whoever the decision-making team is and sort of say, you know, we're trying to go back to a culture that we had 18 months ago that is no longer our culture. So just kind of pointing out the obvious sometimes, if you do it in a very um, collaborative way might be all it really needs to kind of change the direction. Because like again, a lot, of, a lot of companies were stuck in working in a certain way. And if they are seeing better success rates and things like that on a number of, of measurable um, fronts, then sometimes just pointing that out is enough to at least get them talking about it. Great. Good stuff. Well, good. Now I've got, if I talk to this person again, got I'm, armed, I'm armed with better <laughs> answers than I had earlier this week. So, uh, or last week, whenever it was. All right. This is good stuff. We need to let our guests go. Trish, they've been very gracious with their time uh, with us today. Uh, Jonathan Sears and Roz Feinside from EY. Thank you so much for joining us. Great information. Great to get to talk to you guys today. And, and thank you so much for being a part of the HR Happy Hour show. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Good stuff. We will put links to the work reimagined survey in the show notes as well. Trish, we must thank our friends at Paychex one last time, of course. Absolutely. Check out their uh, COVID-19 resources and all their resources at, at paychex.com. And uh, Trish, good stuff. I enjoyed it. I did too. This is, I mean, obviously we could talk forever about this. So, you know, maybe we check in in six or nine months and sort of see if, uh, if some of these results from your survey are are coming to fruition. And uh, maybe you'll have also some more insights to share with us of some, you know, case studies and real life examples. And uh, we'll see how Steve's fictional, non-fictional uh, HR person is I'll, doing in I'll, a few months. But I'll yeah, thank back. you both for coming Absolutely. on. Thank you both All for right. coming on. Great stuff. All right, Trish, get to work on the food truck uh, recipes. And uh, that is it. Jonathan and I are on it. Okay. <laughs> oh, Jonathan's roped in now. Okay. Uh, thank you. Yes, so much. he's my partner. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the HR Happy Hour show. You can get all the show archives at hrhappyhour.net. That's it. We will see you next time. And bye.